Welcome everybody. This is Metro Praise International. We are live and we are alive in the name of Jesus. So share this post if you care. Share if you care. Today I'm going to be preaching on the topic, the big picture. The big picture. I'm here already in a Zoom with over a hundred of our leaders and disciples. It is awesome. We've been worshiping and praying. If you're local to Chicago and you want that link to come into our Zoom, you got to start the 101. If you're not already in the 101, get into the 101 and we'll give you this link so that you can join us live here. Also want to encourage everybody not to forget to give during these times of famine. We give in feast and we give in famine. The Bible says he'll bless us in both opportunities of giving. And those of us who are getting that check, you better tithe off that check and give some offering. My wife and I have already figured it out. We figured out we get 2,400, the kids get 500, that's times six, that's, uh, you know, 3,000. So we've already got the, the kids plus us, the tithe, the offering, and then she's got a bedroom set picked out for them and different things she's going to buy with that money. And I won't tell you what I'll do with my money, but I'm, I'm thinking about some different things. Mama probably going to go shopping with it. So the giving link will be under this live feed, Give. If you believe that the Lord has been good to you, and if you're suffering during this time and there's something that we can do as a church, please let us know. Reach out to us, and we'll see what we can do. I know a lot of government agencies are coming to, to help right now, and as well, churches are helping, but, it, but we're on lockdown, so I don't know exactly what we can do. I'm glad that money's coming to you no matter what through the stimulus, but reach out to us, and we'll see if we can help. Today, we're going to be talking about the big picture. If you believe that God has a big picture plan, say amen. Chat amen right now. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When we think about what's going on in our culture right now, it's easy to get scared and to think maybe heaven didn't have this planned out and, and God is biting his nails and the father speaking to the son going, oh, the, the coronavirus is here. What are we going to do? No, that's not true. We may freak out, but God's not freaking out. God has everything under control. There is a big picture to when times like this come into our country. Once again, I'm joining you live from my house with a Zoom full of our leaders right now. And share if you care as we get into this message. But I want to encourage you today to believe and to know that God has a big picture plan for us. This may be a big epidemic. This may be a big crisis, don't want to deny the facts, but faith says God has a greater plan than just what we see in front of us. And we're not the first culture, we're not the first generation, we're not the first group of people to have to trust God during times of crisis and to trust God for a bigger plan than what we can see. So what I hope to do is to give you a foundation for you not only to go through this situation, but all other situations in your life that you may feel God doesn't have a plan for it. You might lose a loved one, lose a child, lose a spouse, lose a job, you know, a year from now, five years from now, and you might get in your heart and mind these doubts and fears, oh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, maybe God has forsaken me. Maybe there's, you know, no Christ, Christian faith isn't true. There's no Jesus. There's no God. Maybe everything is just the way it seems to be. No, I want you at that time to remember what I'm telling you now, that through every season of life, there's a reason, and God has a bigger plan. And we have to see the plan as a picture. That's why I've entitled this message, 
the big picture. Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 5, verse 15 and 17 to see how we got into the situation that we're in now. Why is there death upon the earth that comes through sickness and disease? Why do we have human evil, atrocities like the Holocaust, slavery, sex trafficking? Why are those things a part of our life? As you woke up into your consciousness at whatever age you realized you were on planet earth and you were a person, I'm sure it didn't take very long after that for you then to realize earth is quite painful. There's a lot of pain in this place called earth. And you might have began to realize that not everybody's nice. Not everybody cares about you. Maybe loved ones hurt you. Maybe people who were supposed to care for you actually did harm to you. And so as you grow up, as you grew up and get older, you probably began to wonder, well, why, why is the world so full of evil? Why are things always going bad? It seems like there's only one out of a million days where everything seems to go right. But every day seems to go wrong. Am I talking to somebody here? I mean, isn't that just the way you feel oftentimes? You get up in the morning and then you stub your toe and you go, oh man, I stubbed my toe. And then you look at yourself in the mirror, oh, you get scared a little bit. And then you try to go on with your day and you get into the car and it's worse traffic because they're doing some type of construction. And then you think to yourself, oh man, it can't get any worse than this. You get to your job late and your boss says, hey, did you have this report for me? And you don't have this report because your co-worker was supposed to tell you and they didn't. And now on the fly, you got to put it together. And then you go to lunch and then there at lunch, you go for your favorite sandwich. Maybe you're heading to Nini's Deli or something. And then your favorite sandwich is sold out. And then you can't get your favorite sandwich. You guys are tracking with me. Isn't that mostly how days go? Don't we always feel like we're fighting an uphill battle towards what we think should be normal? It should be good to get up in the morning. I shouldn't stub my toe. I should like what I look like when I see myself in the mirror. My coworker should actually help me when I get to work in traffic. Oh man, it should just be free flowing, right? Well, why is wrong more normal than right? Why is pain more normal than pleasure? And that's why I'm going to be preaching to you today. Look at Genesis 3.15. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Now remember, this is perfect man and a perfect garden. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now we know that eventually Eve is created in the image of God as well. We believe male and female equally bear the image of God. And that Eve is tempted by the serpent to take from this tree so that she might become her own God and make her own rules. And then she partakes. She falls for the temptation. She gives it to Adam. And then at that moment, they realize that they're naked. They don't fall over dead at first, but they realize that they're naked. What had died in that moment was their spiritual relationship to God. I believe the glory of God covered them like a robe, and they were more spiritually minded than they were earthly minded. But at the moment of spiritual death, they only now could see the flesh and focus in on that. And they became afraid as they heard the voice of God coming, where before God was their best friend. We don't know how long they were in that garden together with God fellowshipping, but now God was their best friend. They run away from him and hide. And then God comes to them and lays out curses. 
Curses on the land, curses upon childbirth, that it will be painful. Curses upon them as a form of death. And at that moment, death became normal. The ground would not normally give forth fruit. It would normally give forth weed and fruit would only come or good food would only come through hard work. And let's just think about that for a second. I have an open field here in our backyard and I walk through there with my brothers and sisters all the time when they come over in fellowship. And I started asking them this question. I say, what do you see here in this open field? What, what is the number one thing that stands out to you in the open field? And most of them say, weeds. I mean, pastor, all I see right now is a bunch of weeds. And I ask them, I say, did anybody come here and plant these weeds? Anybody come here and start planting weeds here in this open field? And they say, no. And I say, why is it? that weeds will grow naturally instead of apple trees. Why aren't there apple trees out here? Why isn't there a cornfield out here? And as a matter of fact, I'll walk them by a place that used to be a cornfield that now they are developing into a subdivision and the parts that they haven't got to is just empty dirt, they've tilled it. And I say to them, why isn't the corn still growing here, but why is it a field of weeds only after one year since the corn was here? In other words, there was just as much time in the one year after it was retilled to be flattened out from farmland to become a subdivision, there was just as much time for there to be corn there as there would be weeds. But why is it always weeds? The curse. Why is it once we reach a certain age, our body starts to decline? The greatest sickness that we all face is aging. We can't stop it. We're dying. We're always dying. Think about that. Even the young among us are dying in different ways. They're not going to live forever. Now, we notice that at some point, the replenishment in our body can't keep up with the dying. And that's when the hair starts to turn gray, the muscles start to deteriorate, and we lose the battle against death, and age sets upon us. But it wasn't supposed to be that way, was it? The big picture plan for God and humanity was to live forever. There are some scientists who think they can even reverse aging by somehow figuring out the mechanism or the thing that's inside of our code that enables us to continue to replenish more than dying. They think they can figure out how to keep that going. I don't think they will. The Bible says this is a part of our curse. Romans 6, 23, turn there with me. By the way, the notes are on our website and our app on Google or Apple. You can get the app and get the big picture here to follow along. Romans 6, 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason why I don't believe we'll ever be able to win the battle against death is because death is a foe that God said will defeat us because we have sinned. In other words, we deserve the payment of death in this body because this body has sinned. Now you might look at your body and go, I love my body. Why does my body have to die? I don't want it to die. Well, what have you done in your body? Have you told a lie in your body? Have you taken something that doesn't belong to you in your body? Have you lusted with your body? Have you coveted? Have you been jealous 
with your body? Have you been angry with your neighbor without cause? Angry with your neighbor without cause? Have you blasphemed or taken the name of the Lord in vain in this body? Well, my friend, no matter how beautiful your body may be or how much muscles you got, men, listen to me. Your body owes a debt. It owes a debt to God and it will pay it in death. Now you might say, Pastor, well, that makes sense for why we die. We've sinned. I get it. But, Pastor, why does a child die in the womb? They haven't sinned. They've done no wrong. Why would an innocent child die? I mean, aren't you, as a Christian, against abortion, but yet God allows them to die in the womb? Some atheists have said God is the greatest abortion doctor. He kills all of these pre-born children because of all of these diseases. He could stop it, but he doesn't. And so you Christians, you don't understand how your thinking plays out logically. You don't like abortion. Well, you shouldn't like God because he lets children die all the time. Well, hold on. Are children innocent, according to God, when it comes to Adam and Eve's original sin? No, they're not. The Bible says that when Adam and Eve originally sinned, that that sin would then be handed down to every one of their descendants. So why do children die? Why do they die? They die because the body is cursed. Not that they have individually done something wrong to be cursed, but it's cursed. And so the fact that any children are born healthy should be looked at as a miracle. And that's really what it is. Because the fact that we can survive the womb, come out from the womb, have life from the womb, even after God has cursed the earth, is a blessing. Now you might ask another question, say, okay, well, if you say God allows some to die and some to live, why does he choose some and not others? Why didn't he allow Hitler to die? Why not let that baby die in a womb and have more Martin Luther King Jr.'s be born from the womb? My friends, this is where we have to trust God. Why does God allow death to come to some in certain ways and not to others in those same ways? Here's what I say. I don't have an exact Bible verse to explain the mind of God, but all I can say is what another Bible verse says, that the God of heaven and earth always does what's right. So I will trust and have faith that God is doing what is right for his plan, God is doing what is good for his plan, and I'm going to trust him. Now, you might be a little bit more sassy, or you might be as far out there as an atheist or somebody that I've met on the streets, and I even used to be somewhat like this myself. You might say, well, I don't like that plan. I, I don't like that Adam and Eve sinned, and now there's death upon the earth. I don't like that children die, and they've done nothing wrong. You know what? I'm just going to you know, pull up my thumb to, to God, you know, stick up my nose and walk away and just, no, I'm going to do this my way. I'm done. Okay, let's walk out that scenario. Okay, let's walk out that scenario. Where did the universe come from? I mean, you're all upset at the one that's controlling it. I get it, but you still have to answer the question, where, where did the universe come from? Oh, uh, a, a big bang. Well, who banged it and what bang? Um... Let me ask you another question. Uh, not only do, where does the universe come from, but if there is no God, why do you care about evil to begin with? Why do you care about problems? Uh, as a matter of fact, the weak become meat for the strong. Uh, children dying in the womb, children or old people dying out here. That's a barbecue. Why are you upset? If there is no God that says right or wrong, it's survival of the, fit, the fittest, the weak become meat. Why are we even arguing about this to begin with? 
You started the argument like as if you were so righteous and indi you know indignant towards God. You're going to slap him in, in his face. But hold on, you got to get to his lap first to do that. How do you get to the lap of God to slap him in his face and say you're not a good God? You remember, you, you concluded there was no God. Well, when you threw out God from your mentality, you also threw out morals. You threw out purpose and meaning. You might say, well, well, I just think we should treat people nice. And I just think we, well, who cares what you think? You're just a speck of dust on a planet that is a speck of dust in a galaxy that's a speck of dust among the universe. Who cares what you think? You're just but dust. But hold on, rewind it. You don't feel like dust. You don't think like dust. You, you actually are pained by death. You, you look at suffering the way... God looks at suffering. You are not okay with it. You want to help. We try to help the elderly. We don't just say, kill them all off. Let's make more room for all the young folks to live. They've already done their part by reproducing. No, you care for grandma, grandpa, abuela, etc. Well, now you have to come to the place I was at, which is, yeah, death hurts, and death is painful, and evil is in the world, but... The creator of the universe must have a plan beyond what I can see that makes all of this right in the end. And isn't that what the cross actually is? When we look to the cross, aren't we actually seeing the answer to the problem of evil? So everybody says, I got a problem with evil, I got a problem with evil. Well, without a belief in God, you don't even really have a problem. You're just a dust molecule, you know, a bunch of dust molecules arguing with another set of dust molecules. No, but those of us who do take serious the things that are happening on this earth and we believe in God, we do really have a problem with evil. We're trying to understand how a good God can allow all of this evil. Well, guess what? There's a solution. There's an answer. The cross. What does Jesus do? On the cross, he takes our sins, sorrows, and sicknesses. He shows us that though the plan was broken, he is going to restore the plan because he's got a big picture for humanity. He is not going to let death have the last laugh. He is not going to let disease have the last laugh. As a matter of fact, when David lost his child, he said, I, I can't, uh, the child can't come to me, but I can go to the child because Jesus says, for such uh, of these belongs the kingdom of God. To such as these is the kingdom. So God embraces every lost child. God makes every wrong right. God says that in the end, he's going to bring his kingdom back to earth. Isn't that part of the Lord's prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we understand that there is an answer to the problem. And that's why everybody get this. When Jesus came, what was the greatest act? The death, burial, and resurrection, which we're going to be celebrating at Easter. So the thing that has defeated everybody, Jesus defeated for you and I. We have been defeated by death. We've been defeated by sin. We've been defeated by sorrows and sicknesses. And yet Jesus took it upon himself. And when he raised from the dead, he distinguished himself. Listen to me, my friends. When Jesus raised from the dead, he distinguished himself from everybody who just had a good idea of how to solve the problem. Oh, yeah. You had uh, people writing. The Bhagavad Gita, maybe around that time. We don't know exactly when this book was written. The Hindu scriptures about the blue child man who comes to live among the, the Indian people and begins to teach them the things of meditation 
Oh, yeah, there's been a lot of great ideas and a lot of stories about what happens when we die and why we die. And, and there's been a lot of stories about gods and a lot of stories about how to be enlightened. And, oh, yeah, and even after Christianity, uh, Islam came along. Here's the Quran. And, you know, to teach, you know, if you do such and such a thing and pray such and such a way, and if you do that, oh yeah, there's been a lot of ideas of how to fix this problem we call the problem of evil. But I want to ask you a question. Did any of them die, come back again, and then ascend to heaven? Did any of them defeat in front of the world that which had defeated us? Did any of them show us that their solution was the answer? Because I'm going to tell you what, if God's going to come in the flesh, he's going to do something that only God can do. If God is going to really be in the flesh, if God is going to walk among his creation, there is going to be something so unique that it can never be replicated. And that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, that was the introduction. That was just the introduction. Because now what I want to do is help you in the shadow land. Somebody chat out the shadow land. Oh, you've heard about it. Come on, tell your neighbor if you're with your family member right now. The shadow land. Psalm chapter 23 talks about Jesus being with us. He's the good shepherd according to John. He's the fulfillment of that promise that uh, he made to David. But let me just turn to it. Psalm chapter 23. You've heard about it before. And we normally only think about it at funerals. But it's good to have it as a part of your worldview, how you see the world around you at all times. It says, even though, starting in verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Or as the King James says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay, so there is a shadow of death, isn't there? So it's between the curse and the blessing. It's between what we've already done to ruin this planet and what God is going to do to finally restore it. Everlasting life, kingdom of God coming upon the earth. Heaven's only temporary. We only go there until he comes. We only stay there until he comes back to rule and reign forever upon the earth. So what do we do now in this time I call the shadow land? The time and the place is where we're at now. Where we know God is the answer, God is the solution. And we also know that we've messed up and that we've sinned and that we're still dealing with the results of sin, not only individually, but economically as a people, uh, corporately through disease, famine, etc. Well, what do we do when the righteous suffer, in other words? Well, there's three things I think we should understand when we suffer in this world. In the shadow land is that number one, oftentimes suffering our testing of our faith. Job chapter 2 verse 6 through 8, Job was a righteous man. But the Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. Here we see that God, out of his sovereignty, out of his choice, got to say to Satan, you may afflict this person, but you may not kill him. Why? To test the righteous. Now, I know at this point, I can just hear somebody say, oh, what a mean God. That would be like a father saying to their child, hey, I'll let a molester come and afflict them just to test my child's faith. How dare God do that? No, no, no. 
Remember, we all deserve death because of our sin. If God wants to allow sin to be brought upon us or sickness to be brought upon us for a greater lesson, he has the right to do that. What I think happens is we so often think it would be better to walk away from God than to have the test. But listen, walking away from God does not take away the test. Let's give it a try. Let's say someone you love is dying of cancer. And you've resolved in your heart as a Christian <clears throat> to say that this is a test. That the person you love is righteous. They're a Christian. There's, there's no superstitious belief here that somehow they're suffering from cancer because of some bad thing they've done in their life. It is just the result of living in a cursed earth with a cursed body where genes and, uh, you know, genes and the inner molecules and molecular structure of a body don't always work right. Okay? But over time, you see your loved one beginning to suffer even more and more. And so you say, oh man, I'm done with this test. I'm done with this. Okay, you said that you're done with the test. Did that change your aunt? Did you walking away from God change anything about your aunt? This is how I want you to understand. You're going through hell on earth either way. You can either go through it with God and experience some heaven on earth and then heaven for eternity. Or all you're going to have is hell on earth and then hell for eternity. But either way, you're going through it. There, there, there is nothing we get out of throwing a pity patty party saying, well, I don't like that God chose me for this test. I don't like that. That's so unfair. Doesn't change cancer. Doesn't change the, uh, the pandemic. Doesn't change anything. So here's what I want to encourage you with. I would rather you go through your problems with Jesus than to go through them without Jesus. I would rather you, come on people on Zoom, I would rather you suffer for a little while and have Jesus with you so that for a long while you can be in eternity. I guarantee you this, the moment you step into eternity, that first second will be worth everything you suffered here for years. One moment in the glory of God will be worth all the suffering of this earth. And so in our test, when we suffer in the shadow land, we have to see the big picture that God is using it for his glory. I know it's not what we want to hear, that God would choose us to raise a handicapped child, or that God would choose us to lose a, a loved one, or that God would choose us to live with a certain sickness or disease, or that God would choose us to live in a certain country where you don't have freedom and so forth and so on. I know we would all like to complain and say, well, how come God didn't do that for this person, but he did it for me? Woe is me. But rather we should say to God be the glory. God gave me my life. I deserved hell. All of the generation after Adam and Eve have deserved hell, but he's given me the chance to have air to breathe and to live. And if I suffer here, I can know ultimately that the big picture is God wins. And if I'm with God, I win too. Second thing, as we think about suffering in the shadow land, is that Deuteronomy chapter 28, 15 through 24 does talk about calamity coming because of sin. Now, I don't think we should go around trying to be the inspector gadgets of who's in sin and how they're suffering. I think when God brings about calamity, sickness, death, disease because of sin, it's obvious and there's a clear meaning behind it. Not just uh, you didn't show up to church Sunday, now you catch a cold on Monday. I don't think God is superstitious. But we do have to understand, especially in these last days, that a part of God's plan is to punish the earth 
for what they have done over all generations. Now somebody might say, man, I wasn't alive for the Babylonian Empire. I wasn't alive for the Roman Empire. Why is my generation going to get all the wrath of God for the full extent of humanity? Once again, God is sovereign. But if you are alive during these end times, as I believe it is, you're going to suffer the wrath of God along with this world because of what sin has done. Now, some people want to say, well, what degrees of wrath will we suffer? Well, Romans chapter 1 says that there's a certain degree of wrath already being poured out on the earth. We see this now because of world governments uh, being uh, punished because of what they've done to their people. We see the Bible that, that said that there would be famines. The Bible says that there would be earthquakes. We, we are already seeing this in a certain way. But the Bible then goes on to say, that ain't nothing to what's coming upon the earth when the bowls of wrath and the final judgment comes. The Bible literally says that if that day had not been shortened, there would be nothing left of the entire planet. And that during that time, it will be the greatest calamity the world has ever known, and it will never be surpassed. So where do we find ourselves in the midst of God's wrath? What degree of wrath are we in as we're getting closer to the end times? And how do the little things that we see play out, how do they, you know, compare to what's coming? Well, I think coronavirus is a part of the wrath of God and a way to show us that our systems cannot protect us from what is coming. Hear me carefully here. I'm not saying if your relative has corona, you know, I don't know about some of you, but after I coughed a few times, I thought I had corona. And then I looked up, you know, the Google uh, doctor websites and I started feeling, oh, not only do I have uh, corona, but I have leukemia and I, I have Ebola and all of these other things. Uh, you know, you can get so fearful. But listen, I'm not saying if your loved one has corona that God has struck them with the wrath. No, but listen. Wrath of God comes upon nations and places and people for reasons. Why do I think disease is here now? Well, we go back to Adam and Eve and we understand disease is a part of this planet's curse. But when it strikes like this, I believe it's a wake-up call. I believe we're supposed to shake out of our slumber. Those of you who have been skipping church all the time because you were so busy working your job, God is showing you jobs that we're supposed to see that the wrath of God is here, but it's going to increase. And so may we be warned. Take it as a warning. Now, once again, I always try to play the devil's advocate. Somebody might say, well, you, you know, you doom and gloom preachers. My friends, what do you want me to tell you? Oh, everything's just going to be better. You know, rainbows and sunshines, there'll never be one of these again, boys and girls. Oh, there'll never be a world war again. There'll never be a disease like the influenza, you know, Spanish flu or whatever. Uh, there'll never be this, there'll never be that. No, come on. The Bible actually says it gets worse. If I would have talked to you, what, a year ago, and I were to say to you that the whole entire country, if not the world, would shut down over one disease, you would look at me as if I was crazy. You're like, man, we're too smart for that. God is breaking through and showing us, no, 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 you're not too smart for that. God said, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God, this is Deuteronomy 28, 24, uh, 28, uh, 15, rather. however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all of his commands and decrees, I'm giving you today all these curses will come on you and overtake you. My friends, I don't want to be cursed, but I might have to live in a time of curse. 
uh, a time of a cursed generation. Look at Daniel. Daniel was righteous. Daniel hadn't done what his forefathers had done. His forefathers were the idolaters, were the wicked Israelites. But what did God allow to happen? God allowed the Israelites to be taken into slavery and their children had to go live in Babylon. Was it Daniel's particular fault? Like, was he the one responsible? Of course not. But God, when he deals out punishment, the Bible says it comes upon a people. It comes upon generations. And though Daniel could have said, well, if the God I serve has put me in Babylon because of what my parents did, I'm not serving that God. Well, then he would have went to hell with the pagans then. But thank God he said, if I get punished for what my culture has done, or if I'm a part of the wrath of God, I'll serve God anyways. I'll serve God in Babylon. I'll still bow down and pray to him. And my friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't switching gods now to gods that look like this. No, we're not bowing down to gods that look like this now. We're not switching teams because this god looks like they have more power because they took over our god's land. No, I'm going to be faithful to God in the land of Babylon in the midst of a curse upon my people. Lastly, lastly, how are we to respond to these things? Number one, we're supposed to know that God can test us through suffering. Uh, number two, God can judge us through our suffering. And number three, God can bring us to heaven so that we'll be decided upon to suffer or be rewarded. In other words, we're all going to die and God can kill us under a time of judgment, wrath, disease, old age. And that at that moment, our soul must be ready to be judged. And so not only judged on earth, but judged in heaven. We have a parable in Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. Please listen to this and tell me if this doesn't sound like all your friends and family who don't know Jesus, say, six months ago. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. They're fighting over money. I've seen that happen even in my own family. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Like, why are you coming to me with this? I'm not here. Go to, the, go to Judge Judy and figure this out. Then Jesus said to them, here it comes. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. Here it is. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I got so many, it's outgrown my barns. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus again. And I say, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. How many of you have heard people talk like that? I got plenty of money saved up. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Here's a farmer. He has, all of, he has all the crops he could possibly need. He says, man, i got the problem of having too much. i got to build more barns now. I'm just going to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, come on, somebody say, but God said, you fool. Put it in there, but God said, you fool. That's what God said to America. That's what God said to China. You think you have so much wealth. You think you have everything put together. You fool, this very night. Your life will be demanded of you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Then, rather, who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You fool! You're going to lose it all. And then everything you thought was yours is going to be given to somebody else. 
Look at Jesus. Make the application here in verse 21. He says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Let me get to the closing here quickly. Our responses to what is going on in this world is going to mainly depend on how we see God being in control of the big picture. Because ultimately suffering will come of one of those three ways. We're being tested. We're being punished. Or God is going to judge us in heaven to decide where we go to heaven or hell. We can't get away from it. It's already here. Our forefathers, forefathers, forefathers have already dealt with it. Now we must live in the shadow land and have the big picture. Can I give you five things to do right now in the midst of sickness and in death in the shadow land? Number one, pray for God's mercy and healing. James 5, 13 through 15 says pray for each other. Don't just say, well, God is sovereign. Whatever happens, happens. No, God asked us in his sovereignty to pray and to show that we have desires to go into his throne room and ask for his blessings. Pray for God's mercy and healing. Number two, resolve to trust God no matter the outcome. As we talked about in Job, Job 13, 15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. I will trust in him, but I will maintain my own ways before him. I'm not giving up and I'm ready to meet him. Yet he slay me, though will I trust him. On number three, serve others. Matthew 25, 34 talks about Jesus coming and separating us according to sheep and goats. And the sheep are those who have done what he asked us to do. And part of that is to feed the hungry, to give the, the drink to the thirsty, to invite the stranger in, to clothe the naked, to be with the sick, and to visit those in prison. Have not the Christians been doing that all throughout history? And may we continue to do that even more so. Number four, may we personally be prepared to die. 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, Paul's talking. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Amen. Be ready to meet your maker. And then lastly, help prepare others to meet their maker. Preach the gospel to them. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5 says that we should be in season and out of season and preach the gospel and to let people know he's coming and that he's going to judge us and that we should be uh, willing to repent of whatever he has called us sin, not argue about it and not to fall for the myths of our day. A myth is, well, my God would never judge this or my God would never send that person to hell. You're right, your God would never do that because your God doesn't exist. It's a myth. He said, but keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. And can I end with this scripture? The big picture is the Garden of Eden is restored in the end. That this temporary time of the shadow land is surpassed by an eternity of the light of God. Revelation 21, 1 through 4, John speaking, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth come from the first heaven and the first earth because they had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. The old order of things is going to pass away. More evil than good is going to pass away. Death with our children is going to pass away. Sickness and disease, my friend, is going to pass away. And how do I know it? Because Jesus said it. And when he said it, he displayed it on the death of the cross in his burial and in his resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God, my friends. This is the time to believe the gospel. This is the time to get out there and share the hope beyond the scope of human limitation. And as Adam gets ready to come, and I'm going to close us out in prayer, may I end with an old school hymn. By and by, when the morning comes, when all the saints are gone and gathered home, we'll tell the story about how we've overcome. We will understand it better by and by. Hallelujah. I encourage you this week. Read the lyrics of that hymn. Go through it and sing it aloud and encourage yourself and your family. Go through the scriptures that I've given you today and understand though, though it is true, Death and sickness is among us, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon, probably only getting worse. God's kingdom is coming. Choo-choo, get ready. He's coming. Before we close out, if you have any prayer requests, I have folks in the Zoom chat room ready to pray for you right now. Would you put up your prayer requests right now? Thank you for joining with us. Please share this as well. We believe in a God who answers prayer. Put up your prayer requests and workers from our church will start to look for them now. If you even want to meet with our folks, and maybe you're not in the Chicagoland area, and you would like to have a Zoom meeting, a one-on-one -on -one chat with someone of the same gender, just to encourage you, uh, we are here for you. Please uh, reach out to us by simply asking right now in that chat, would somebody connect with me? I'll make sure that our leaders connect with you. They'll never ask you for anything, okay? They'll never ask you for anything. But if they see you right, if you're a female, a female will reach out to you right now. If you're a male and say, I would just like to do a Zoom with somebody. I would just like to pray with somebody. They'll come to you right now in the name of Jesus. They'll figure out a way to get to you through Facebook Messenger, one of these hundred of apps to do it. And we'll get to you. But right now, if you've got prayer requests, put them out there. And I want to close out with asking everyone here to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see in my library, I have all these books from all of these different religions, but nobody's like my Jesus. If you haven't accepted him into your heart right now, just say this with me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me, rose again on the third day. Be the Lord of my life. I surrender all. I surrender. Be the Lord. Be the boss of my life, Jesus. If that's you and you're accepting Christ into your life, say, I want to start a new Christian life. We'll start discipleship with you. Just chat right now if you need somebody to reach out to help you start a Christian life. That's what we do. That's what we spend our life writing on and teaching and doing discipleship. 
And then lastly, if you're here and you would say, I'm already a Christian, but here are some of my prayer requests or needs. Someone I know has the corona. Someone, you know, family member has passed and we're suffering. Just put it up there. We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you right now. Just a few more moments. A few more moments. And then I'm going to conclude in our Zoom meeting. But I want to let you know we love you. That there is a big picture for your life that's greater than anything we could ever imagine. It's God's love. The scriptures say all things work together for those who love him. Those who get into the cycle of God's love and, and experience that love, they will see this work out for good. And I remember watching my aunt pass as I'm waiting for more of you to put up your prayer requests. Those in Zoom, look for those prayer requests, please, now on the live feed. Listen to me, my friends. I, I watched my dear aunt pass of uh, cancer. It was so painful. She couldn't get enough morphine to take the pain away. Mouth is dry there in the hospice, moments away from dying. And yet when I came in, she was listening to worship music. <laughs> and then she asked me, what can I pray with you about? My wife and I had been in an accident and she wanted to ask how she could pray for us. Here she is, dying, in pain, and yet she still wants to pray for us. Come on, only God can do that. And as I talked to her, she had so much faith. She said, Joe, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'll get up from this bed. And some people might laugh at Christians when they say that and say, oh, well, what happened to your aunt? Did she get up? No, she passed. But I just feel it was something like this. She was on her deathbed saying, I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm healed in Jesus' name. And then in one moment, she was face to face with Jesus. And he said, yes, you are. <laughs> Woo! And she'll be healed a lot longer than she was ever sick. I can't wait to meet Jesus face to face when he makes every wrong thing right. Hallelujah. So I bless you in Jesus' name. We have life groups meeting throughout this week. Stay in touch with this page, all on our Zoom platform and different things. Have a wonderful day. God bless you.